What's up, guys? Welcome into a Week 17 edition of Chargers Weekly. Alongside Matt Buddy Smith, I'm Chris Hayry. It's raining in SoCal and money. I, I just think about the Chargers, and they've been in a position of strength the entire season when it comes to the playoff picture. We enter Week 17 where you got to win out, and you're going to need some help. Yeah, it's a it's it's the worst loss in the five years that that I've been doing this. Uh, I think back to that Tennessee loss where you know Austin Eckler should have been awarded a touchdown, and instead it was you know ruled short, and then Melvin gets four cracks at it, fumbles, and it's a loss. And I just remember the feeling around the team like that was the turning point of that season. Like, hey, we're good enough. Breaks just haven't gone our way, and then after that happened, that was brutal. Um, this is easily the the worst loss, and I think it's it goes to us talking about the Chiefs game being the biggest game in these back-to-back weeks. And it's, this team's good enough, you know, when they're healthy. And we can get into the health and who gets to play and who doesn't and how they approach that from the start of the season. That's been an unmitigated disaster these last couple of weeks. But, like, this loss, and you just mentioned it, sure, you can win the next two, but the fact that they no longer are in control of a playoff spot I think leads to, you know, looking at that game with a rookie quarterback. They had four fifths, the Texans had four fifths of their offensive line out, three fourths of their defensive line out, and Rex Burkhead, who looks like he's 200 years old in the face, having a career day, is easily the worst performance I've seen from. And this is, I'm talking about 45 nothing last year to the Patriots. I just think expectations, what's on the line. And what was produced is easily the worst I've seen since I've been doing this. Yeah, it was it was eye popping, especially when you consider that Texans running attack was the worst in yeah. football without their offensive line starters, Rex Burkhead and company, Royce Freeman, 189 yards on the ground. And I, I think you point to a couple of things that the third down defense, they could not get off the field on third down against Davis Bills and they could not stop the run. And the, the Texans go into that game money with three wins plus seven in the turnover differential in those three wins they were plus three against the Chargers. you can't play a, a a sloppy game of football on top of all that and it was just you know anything that could go wrong did go wrong michael davis was pulled off the field right before the game um you mentioned all the guys that were out and you know we can get into that too i mean listen you're going to look different when darwin james and joey bosa and austin eckler and Corey lindsley and mike williams are not on the field but at the same time, there was way too much talent on the field for the Chargers to lose that game. Yeah, look, I think you can make a case the Texans were in worse shape, you know, based on their starters versus their backups uh, compared to the Chargers starters versus their backups. We've seen depth come through for this team time and time again. And, you know, DJ said something interesting. And, you know, when they kicked that first field goal and then they kicked the second field goal, it's just this team doesn't work well that way. This team is all gas. This team is our coach. He's given us the keys, and we're going to deliver. And when you kick those field goals, the team just felt flat. You know, that it was a bring-your-own-energy game. And Austin Eckler's a big energy guy. Corey Lindsley, we've heard from the moment he walked in the door, has been a leader of that offense. We know what Bosa and Derwin James mean to the defense. And I think in that, you know, with, with that kind of as a, a backdrop, and then you kick two field goals and they score a touchdown in their first drive. And it just felt like 
just all the juice was sucked out of this team. You and know, there, they there was no juice. Sorry to interrupt. There was no juice in the in the building to begin with. No. Well, that's what I mean. There were 20,000 people there. So it yeah. was a you are responsible for your own energy. And I just felt like they did not have that. They they did not have it. You know, the first time they moved down the field, you know, they lose the toss and uh, and they move right down the field. And I know it was a fourth and I don't know what it was, fourth and six, fourth and whatever. But once you kick that field, it's like, eh, I don't not, you know, I get it. You took a ton of incoming last week for not kicking field goals. And you feel like your defense ought to be good enough to hold down this offense that's dead last in almost every category. So points are at a premium. Just go get them. But I just felt like this, um, that that kind of set a tone, along with not having any of their energy guys out there that unfortunately maintained through the entire through the entire contest. And, and you know, again, I know people are upset and they want to point to NFL protocols and or guys being vaxxed or not vaxxed. And I think that's worth having a conversation of, of are you letting your team down when you knew what the rules were? And here we are at the end and everything was fine until now. But to me they were good enough to win that game. They were missing something. It just, it clearly felt that way. Like something wasn't out there that we've seen the majority of this year in that particular game. And hopefully they'll find it and they'll win these next two. Yeah. They, they have to regroup and, and get some help. And, you know, we, we talked about this on Monday with Haley, just the, the playoff picture, uh, the caveat, if the Chargers don't win, doesn't mean anything, but now you're, you're going to go into Sunday. If you're a Chargers fan and you're going to watch Miami and Tennessee and you're going to watch Baltimore and the Rams. And if the, the Ravens lose and the Dolphins lose, the Chargers could go into that game knowing that they have destiny back in their hands if they beat the Raiders and they beat the Broncos. So, I mean, that's that's something to keep an eye on. But, you know, we'll have Troy Rank on in a little bit to kind of uh, break down this, this Broncos matchup and uh, kind of what it means for Denver as they lose to the Raiders last week. And, you know, they're, they're coming in knowing that they don't have the playoffs to play for. They have pride and, you know, their head coach um, could be coaching his last two games. We don't know about that. But um, I, I go back to just the fact that they were so close to beating the Chiefs money. Like if they beat Kansas yeah. City, like I, I wonder if there is a little bit more juice, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think back to, you know, again, few years ago when they knocked off Kansas city on Thursday night, we're first place in the AFC and they come back and lose to Baltimore and go from being the first, the number one seed to a wild card. So, but I hear you, you know, and, and you almost wonder, you know, you expend so much energy. It was such an awesome game and everybody played so well and just the margins were so slim to lose that thing in overtime. You wonder if there's a hangover, um, especially with the holiday, you know, there's just so much that, that the one thing that I'll say is I think it's a reminder Everybody in the NFL is good. There are no bad teams. Like you're never going to get a free pass, no matter what. Davis Mills looked good. Davis Mills stood tall in the pocket. He delivered some beautiful throws, you know, into coverage that were just in the perfect spot for his receivers to score touchdowns. So, you know, the Texans aren't terrible. The Texans are a good team. They knocked off Tennessee, and now they knocked off. And when I say good, I mean they are plenty capable of beating anyone any day if things are going, you know, their direction, if you let up at all. And, there's no reason to think that the Chargers can't win these next two games. Of course they can. They're one of the most talented teams in the league. It's just, it's unfortunate that that might not be enough. You know, that now what I'm hoping is, you know, now as I flip, you know, to the, the hopeful side of things, look, the Dolphins on this win streak have played a strength of schedule that's in the 300s. I think it's like 310 or something like that. So, 
they have not really had a serious challenge. Every they, They've either been benefited because they have not been hit by COVID. If you look at their roster, they've been pretty well lockstep. They're good to go. So, you know, you had a team of pretty much in, entirely comprised of starters against a ravaged Saints squad. And that was the only team with a 500 or winning record that they played on this stretch of seven wins. So let's see if they can do it against the Titans and against the Patriots and the Chargers. I think when you look at those two games, it's like, you know what? I find it pretty hard that a team that was at 1.1 and seven closing out the season with nine wins in a row. Now it's happened. I just don't, they don't look like they're that talented of a team, especially up front on the offensive line with the defenses they're about to go face the defensive fronts. They're about to go face. So then you take the Ravens and that's the one that I think scares me a little bit more just because Lamar Jackson's a cheat code. Their defense is destroyed. Their secondary is absolutely wrecked by no, they should lose out. Like they truly should lose out based on what you're looking at. You think the Chargers secondary looks different when they don't have their starters out there, which it does. The Ravens is a disaster. So I think the hope there is, okay, I think we can make a case that that these two teams are going to lose one. So let's just, and the players and the coaches will never acknowledge this, nor should they. It's for us to do and for us to kind of look at the bigger picture. But I think they know that, you know, instead of hanging their heads like, holy crap, we just gave the season away. We just missed out on the playoffs and we are, if we're healthy, we're easily one of the most talented teams in the tournament. So I think they can look at, and I don't think that, you know, the Rams are a so much more talented than the Baltimore Ravens right now. It's not even close when you line those two rosters up, especially when you think about Odell Beckham Jr., Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, Cam Akers is back against that secondary. They ought to be able to light that team up and, and that's all you need. And so I think it's, a, I almost think it's sort of important, Chris, to kind of share that. I know you want to, oh, we're focused on the Chargers. We can only worry about, meh. now that you're not in control, I think it's worth pointing out, hey, look, yeah, we were, we were shorthanded last week, but these teams don't necessarily have this thing locked up. So let's remember that. Even though it's not in our control right now, it very likely well could be at the end of Sunday. Yeah, and, and really, it could be at the, at the beginning of the game. Um, they could know at 105 that, hey, we, right. we're, we're back in this thing. And if it gives you extra juice, it shouldn't. But if it gives you extra juice, then then so be it. And I, I, I want to give the person credit, but I saw McVeigh's record on the East Coast in early games pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, so when you have that passing attack and, and that Ravens secondary, um, and they're playing for a division title. So there you go. Um, the... The Raiders, too. Um, I'll just kind of take it a step further. If Carson Wentz doesn't play on Sunday and the Raiders somehow beat the Colts and the Chargers beat the Broncos, we're yeah. looking at a winner-take-all game in Las Vegas. Either, I don't know if they'd flex it to Sunday night or Saturday. I think they would. I mean, how do you not, you know, how do you not make that a primetime game, right? If it's Raiders versus Chargers for everything. Yeah. So, I mean, we could be looking at that, too. So th- there's a, a myriad of scenarios, but none of it matters if the Chargers don't take care of business. And I, I guess we-, we can get into this before we talk to Troy. Just, you know, the, the Chargers have had difficulty with the Denver Broncos. Um, they beat them last year at SoFi Stadium. Teddy Bridgewater was the starter first time around. We saw Drew Locke for a little bit before Bridgewater went back in. It's going to be Drew Locke's team. Um, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon coming off their worst game. Um, together in Denver. Um, what do you make of this matchup, knowing that the Broncos don't have much to play for 
and the Chargers have their season to play for. Well, I'm hoping it, it and I'm just kind of looking off camera here uh, for those watching the video portion of this at, at Herbert. So it's one of her Herbert's worst performances of the year, right? He throws two interceptions. He has a quarterback rating of 80. You go back to the year prior against the Broncos in that first one, and it was one of his worst performances of the year, his first go around against Vic Fangio, right? It was uh, three touchdowns, but he threw two picks. One of them was brutal toward the end of that game that helped open that door for the Broncos to come back and get that 31-30 win. And then what did he do? He comes back uh, against them, you know, in week, whatever it was, 16, right? Yeah, because there were 17 weeks and ends up taking care of the football, no turnovers, and they get the win, you know? So he was able to avenge every single loss, you know, uh, on his, you know, in the division last year. And I'm hoping he does the same because, you know, he's already beat the Raiders. He's already beat the Chiefs. He's, you know, he's lost to the Broncos. Let's not get swept. He has not been swept by a division opponent yet. I know it's a young career, but let's not get it started now. So I think the hope is that, you know, they recognize some things they can do better. My big fear in this game, and I shouldn't say fear, but the thing that I'd be most concerned about is just how different this run defense looks without Justin Jones. It's just not even close. And they're picking on Jerry Tillery. And I know that's been a, a point of emphasis in the media and in the press conferences and coaches even acknowledged it that, you know, they're trying to just get him better. He's a young player and they're trying to develop him and help him out on his run fills and figure out where he's supposed to be and what gap and half he's responsible for. And it just has not worked out this year. So I'm very hopeful with the new protocols. I don't want to do Vax talk on this. I know people don't want to hear it, but I'm hopeful that Justin Jones can be back. Um, and if he's not, I thought Braden Fajoko had a great game. Yep. And, and I think he just is going to have to play that Justin Jones role and you'll have to figure out, you know, can we cover up Waldo? Did they find, because man against the Broncos, you do not want to have issues in your run defense against Javante Williams. Uh, Cause man, they will put it on you. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's my big concern. Um, and I think as great of a job as the coaches have done, and man, they have done a great job it, when, when it comes to depth uh, on the defensive line, on the offensive line at wide receiver look last week at how great Justin Jackson was in place of, of Austin Eckler. I mean, they have done great work when it comes to getting backups ready to play, but the secondary has been a huge issue. Um, You know, if your starters are out and you mentioned it at the start of this, Chris, you know, Michael Davis has pulled off the field at the start and it just, it's, you know, it's a Jenga, right? It's just, and the whole thing comes crashing down and Davis Mills, you know, and I'm going to give him credit. He's looked good in a couple games this year. I'm not saying that like, oh, how do you, yeah, how do you let that guy beat you? No, Davis Mills is like, okay, there's Devontae Harris. I'm attack him. And there's Isang Bassi. I'm attack him. And, you know, in this day and age, you can find it. It's out there for you to go get. And man, when you talk about Cortland Sutton and the talent, Jerry Judy and the talent they have at the pass catcher position, um, you know, you, you hope the return of Joey Bosa. And, you know, I know Kyler Fackrell's been out there playing a little bit now. Uh, Kyle Fackrell's been out there playing a little bit. And you hope that, you know, there's enough pass rush that those guys aren't hung out to dry, um, you know, and, and they have to be responsible for, for receivers longer than they need to be. Because I even with Drew Locke back there, I think it could end up being a bit of an issue. You remember that game last year with Jerry Judy and those drops? Like, he, yeah, he could have had like dropped like three touchdowns. Game. Yeah, he dropped like three touchdowns that game. Yeah, um, we, we talk about Justin Jones and you're 100 percent right. Um, but you've said it time and time again, too. Joey Bosa is as good against the run as he is getting after the quarterback. So 
getting him back in addition yep. to Justin Jones. I just think I think that that one two punch of Gordon and Williams is has a really bad taste in their mouth from, from last yeah. week. And they're going to try to establish the run. They're going to try to help out Locke and and just just do what they did the last time they played the Chargers. They had a, almost 200 total yards. Um, and then will Locke, you know, throw the ball down the field to Sutton and Judy and and maybe take advantage of a of a, of a thin Chargers secondary? That's one thing that we got to watch. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think to me, in and we're, it feels like we're painting a bleak picture, and I don't mean to do that. I'm just saying, hey, this is what they need to sort out based on what we've seen, a throughout the season. You mentioned third down; they're the worst third down defense in the league. You know, it's not like it just showed up in that Houston game. They're 32nd in the league at getting teams off the field. They allow teams to convert 50% of their third downs. And in that game, I want to say it was over 70% that Houston was able to convert. And again, that's with four-fifths of their offensive line missing. Their number one receiver, Brandon Cooks, who had 114 targets, the next wide receiver, I think, had something like 44. That's how big the gap was and how reliant they were on Brandon Cooks. And then again, Rex Burkhead with a career day, rushing for seven yards per carry uh, and 149 yards and two touchdowns. So you got to figure that out like that. Like, and I know coach addressed it and said they felt like they had a game plan and, and that they just unfortunately did not execute. And defensive linemen that are responsible for gaps weren't quite comfortable figuring that out. And when Drew Tranquil went out and you had linebackers that are responsible for fills, and then you've got issues at safety, you know, Lowy Gilman's back for the first time in whatever, five, six weeks, and Derwin James isn't out there, and you got corners that they're used to having make tackles. Um, it was a rough go because, look, they play with a light box. You know, they play with a lot of too high. And when there's a light box – if you a don't mind your gap b get your run fill right or c miss tackles which was another problem in that game you got issues you you got runs that could go for a yard or two yard loss and they become eight yard and and nine yard and 15 yard gains and we saw that repeatedly and i know that was something coach had had talked about you know when it comes to coaching and just feeling like you got everything right and that have you done everything you should to, to put your players in a position where they know what's expected of them and they can execute what your vision is. And, and I'm assuming that that's probably been a huge point of emphasis uh, this whole week of practice. Before we get to Troy, I, I just want to say this to the fans for as disappointed as you were on Monday. And, you know, it, it was a really, really bad loss. Yeah. For as disappointed as you were, Next Monday, you could be talking about beating the Raiders and going straight to the playoffs, right? Yeah, look, so like, I, I, 100%, Chris, I've said it. Just yeah. get in. This Just team in. is so talented. All they got to do is – I was talking to someone affiliated um, with a particular team. I, I don't want to out him or anything like that, but someone that, that is pretty high up on a team, and they're in the playoffs. And he said, look, you, you tell me which of these teams do I not want to see. It's you. I don't want to have to contend with Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler and Joey Bosa and Derwin. I want nothing to do with that in the postseason. Um, and I think everybody feels that way. You know, game wreckers make differences in the playoffs. They tend that, you know, it, it tends to be teams that are the most talented or have exceptional outlier players. Uh, and you're absolutely right. You know, come Monday, we could be back in a position where we're talking about a primetime game on Saturday night or Sunday night, winner take all and just get in, just get into the tournament. And, and like I said, if they're the seven seed 
and they got to go against the highest seed every single time to get to the Super Bowl, I still have faith that this team could do it on the road for three games in a row. I do. I, I just I feel like they're that talented. They just stub their toe. Well, it's more like they fell on their face. I think it was bigger than stubbing their toe because now they got two teams in front of them. But you can get up, dust off, and, and get back moving. Uh, and I think they can do that. And if they do, we're going to cut this part of the podcast. We're going to lead with it next week, and we're going to be <laughs> excited for, for Raiders, Chargers, and Vegas. Uh, but first, let's let's dive into this matchup with the Denver Broncos and Troy Rank. But first, a quick note to let you know that Pepsi, they're handing out the ultimate Chargers fan experience only at 7-Eleven. Rush in, scan the code for your chance to win some awesome Chargers prizes. Bolt up with Pepsi. Must be 18 years or older. No purchase necessary. Sponsor is PepsiCo. For official rules, visit boltupla.com slash 7-Eleven. Also want to tell you guys about picks for Popeyes. Every Chargers game this season, when the Bolts defense gets an interception, show the game recap email to your local Popeyes to get a free chicken sandwich when you purchase a chicken sandwich at regular menu price. All right, to get this week's opposing view, let's bring in Broncos insider Denver 7. Troy Rank joins us here on Chargers Weekly and uh, Troy, why don't you just kind of set the scene in Denver uh, coming off a loss to the Raiders? What are they saying about coming to Los Angeles and SoFi Stadium to take on the Chargers? Yeah, I mean, they're really left to play for pride. That Cincinnati Bengals game a couple weeks ago was a knockout game in a lot of ways. And then they get to Vegas and all these teams start losing around them, including the Chargers. So they have a chance and they blow it against the Raiders. So they're trying to play the role of spoiler. Be fair to your teammates. Be fair to the process. But you know, those of, of us who grew up here, the idea of the Broncos playing spoiler, like it's like this, the sour cream have an expiration date. It's one of these questions <laughs> you don't ever want to address. Like, what are what are we talking about? The Broncos playing spoiler, but it's been a lean six years since the Super Bowl. So they're playing for pride. And in, in some cases, in, they could be playing for Coach Vic Fangio's job as well. If he can win out, maybe he stays for another season. If he loses out four straight, that'd be a hard argument for him to stay for a fourth season. Well, no doubt. It's it's always been an issue for the Chargers since Vic showed up in, in Denver. This team has played the, the Chargers very well uh, and won a lot of these games. And they've done it with Drew Locke, Troy. I mean, we saw, we saw Drew kind of dig this team out from a heck of a hole last year and, and get a win. We saw him get a win on the last play of the game with a P.I. So kind of walk us through what's happened. Like, like what's happened to him? He did seem like it was promising, like maybe he was going to end up being the guy. Yeah, you're right about Fangio and the Chargers. He's four and one against the Chargers. He's one and ten against the Chiefs and Raiders. I mean, that's what's crushing him, especially the four straight losses to the Raiders. But regarding Drew Locke, he just got into a pattern last year where he couldn't stop turning the ball over. He had a streak last season of eleven straight games with at least one turnover. And in his career now, he has 25 turnovers in 22 games. That's just too many. He even had an interception in relief against the Chargers this year that breathed life back into the Chargers. So what happened? You know, when Rich Scangarello, the offensive coordinator, was let go after Drew's rookie year by Vic Fangio, that's where things got a little sideways. Pat Shermer and Drew Locke, maybe they would have fit in a non-COVID-related situation, but trying to bring in a new offense with a new philosophy. It just never really clicked last year. Then Drew got hurt, hurt his shoulder. So you see how this goes because you guys lived it last year with Anthony Lynn. A veteran coach was 0-7 in September. How do you win in the NFL usually? Veteran quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over. So they bring in Teddy Bridgewater, and it was a pretty even camp 
Bridgewater and, and Locke competed all the way to the end. In the end, they trusted Bridgewater more. So you ask, what happened to Locke? Part of the issue is they're asking him to be something he's not. Like you're trying to take the wag out of the puppy dog's tail. And he's become so conservative. Right. When you don't take any chances, you can't make plays. So it's like, don't take take care of the ball and take chances. And they haven't found that balance. But Drew has matured. He has certainly improved. But he's still trying to find his way in this offense of how can he be himself without turning the ball over. You know, and I like the kid. I love his enthusiasm and his passion for the game. But the simple answer is what happened? Too many turnovers left him vulnerable to losing his job. Troy, the strength of the Broncos offense this season has been that one-two punch of Gordon and Williams, 199 total yards against the Chargers in the first meeting. I look at the box score last week, 14 carries for eight yards. What what happened in Las Vegas? Yeah, they – you're exactly right. And that's why they lost because they're built to play good defense and run the football and win time of possession. So their run game in so many ways becomes part of their defense. But what happened, at least me looking at it, and I'm not a football coach. I mean, watching the film, watching it live, I was there. The Raiders did some different stunts, but the Broncos got predictable. And they're not going to say this, but there's in talking to some former offensive linemen who did watch the all 22 closely. They just felt like there were some tells there that they knew when guys were in motion or stance that they were running. And it also looked like they had a new center in Austin Schlotman because Cushenberry, Lloyd Cushenberry was on the COVID list. It looked like to me that they never changed the snap count. So mm. it's like they think they're running and they're guessing the snap count because it wasn't that, like you just alluded to the stats, it wasn't they were stopping the run. Most of the contact was in the backfield. It wasn't like a guy was hitting two yards and being dropped back. They weren't even making it to the line of scrimmage. And remember, this is a Raiders defense that was ranked right around 25th, 26th in rush defense. So what happened? A new center in, a new quarterback, and the Raiders saw something that they could do because they were just living up the middle and creating issues where there were no running lanes for Gordon or Williams. And Javante usually can break some tackles, even when oh, there's yeah. nothing there. <laughs> He would break two tackles. It was like the, you know, that Kevin Harlan run. He's like, bounces off a tackle, breaks another one, jump, and it's a one-yard game. That's what it was. <laughs> it was like all this action, and he's like, gets back to the line of scrimmage. So it was a tough go, and it is directly why they lost to the Raiders. So we certainly saw it uh, firsthand when we were in Denver at how good Patrick Sertan has been his rookie season. Just kind of someone who's covered this team as long as you have, you've seen really good defensive backfields. Um, kind of walk us through how his rookie campaign has been and how good he is. Yeah, I mean, he's terrific. And, and it really comes down to a couple of things, his maturity and his technique. When he arrived, like even in the first mini camp, you watch him, he's just, you know, he's like as smooth as left out butter. I mean, he just gets <laughs> everything easily. And there's no, nothing looks hard for him. And his technique He's never scrambling. He's never chasing. I'm not saying he doesn't get beat, but you guys know what I mean. Sure. It's like he just looks really comfortable. And I had the, you know, the benefit of covering the no-fly zone with Akeem Talib and Chris Harris right. Jr., who you know well. Chris, with technique, was as good as anybody I've ever seen. His ability to play up, man, front, you know, quarters, zone. And I'm not saying he's Chris, but he there's he reminds me of Chris in that he's never out of position. He's a thinking man's corner, and that ties directly to his dad. Pat Sertan, Patrick Sertan, uh, coaching him. And he just looked like a pro the moment he stepped on because he wasn't supposed to start. They signed Kyle right. Fuller to be opposite of Ronald Darby. 
And it became obvious in camp. They're like, man, how are they going to keep Sertan off the field? And he learned nickel. And then they're just like, what are we doing? I mean, the kid's 6'2", 6'3", looks like Justin Simmons size-wise. So, and he's, he's humble. You know, one of the best parts about professional athletes who become great, there is an edge to him that we always, it's understood. But there's a humility about his game that he's always looking to get better. And he's not this rookie who's pounding his chest saying, I should have been Pro Bowl, I should have been this. He understands from his dad how hard the game is, and there's a humility in his game that makes me think he's got plenty of Pro Bowls in his future. pair of interceptions and a pick six against the Chargers last time uh, they met. What did the Broncos' defense do to Justin Herbert that that first time around? Uh, You mentioned Vic's success against the Chargers, and obviously we know the relationship between Staley and, and Fangio, but it seemed like Vic had something cooked up for Justin the first time. Yeah, I mean, Vic Fangio's record against young quarterbacks, either first-time starters, rookies, second-year quarterbacks, is impressive. I mean, it's in the like, two-to-one winning ratio as a coordinator and head coach. And what he typically does and what I saw against Herbert, they just disguise stuff well. And it's it's more like a matchup zone in basketball where guys leave guys, and they did this to Dak Prescott as well. So it looks man, it looks man, it snap. And then as soon as a guy cuts, a guy lets his guy go, another guy jumps him. And when the defense works right, guys react to each other in real time. So they're not even really playing a space. They're reading off each other. And that's what they did to Prescott, that they had him completely discombobulated. But similar to what they did to Herbert, where his eyes are telling him one thing, and then he's letting go of the ball, and the picture's changing. And that's what Fangio, when the defense is right, they do to young quarterbacks. And I tell you what, I love Herbert. I've seen Herbert live now, what, twice, three times? He is who Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be. And I've seen them both live now. I don't think, and I love Trevor Lawrence. I don't think Trevor can be better than Herbert because Herbert's bigger, stronger, faster. I mean, he's just physically more imposing. And I don't know in recent years that there's been a quarterback I've been more wrong on because I watched a lot of Oregon football because I'm a CU alum, watch a lot of Pac-12, and his own coach at Oregon didn't trust him. Except at Arizona State and the Rose Bowl. I should have trusted what I saw at the Rose Bowl. <laughs> anyway, long story short, I'm like, he looks like, he kind of reminds me a little of Joe Flacco. Does he have the personality to be the leader? And then I had text Chris Harris a couple days into training camp, his rookie, uh, Herbert's rookie year, and he's like, oh my God, we got a guy. And I was like, oh no, because Chris <laughs> knows. And I was like, he's got the personality. He's like, absolutely. He's got this, absolutely. I was like, oh no. I was so wrong on Herbert. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because, and I, I hate to flip it forward, Troy, and, and put you on the spot because I know you've been asked a million times. And I wish we could just focus on this game and both these teams were competing for a playoff spot. But, I mean, you know what the talk is. It's been there for two years, maybe even three years. Do you get the sense there's a deal out there for this team? Are you hearing anything? Because, man, you got a, you got a division that's got Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. And you think about adding a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers to that roster that you have in Denver. And my goodness, what this thing could look like in 2022. Yeah, I believe their first priority will to be to get a proven veteran star quarterback. Russell Wilson on paper could be the most attainable if the Seahawks, let's say, again, we're playing the hypothetical game, right. to be clear. But if they decide to move on or gracefully push Pete Carroll out the door and Russell says, you know what? Even with Pete gone, new coach, I just want to start over fresh. Denver could give them the amount of picks that would restock them based on their terrible trade for Jamal Adams. So, And Russell Wilson nearly was drafted by the Broncos. He played for the Rockies organization right. as a minor leaguer. 
Um, that, but he has a complete no trade, one of the few players. But that would be a guy. Aaron Rodgers, there was real fire there last year. It wasn't just rumor. It all was happening fast around the draft. And ultimately, when it couldn't get done by the draft, you know, the Packers had no motivation to move on from the reigning MVP. And now that they're not getting that pick for this, you know, that upcoming season, you know, it all fizzled. But they will be in if Rodgers is available. They'll be in if Russell Wilson is made available by the Seahawks. And I wouldn't even rule out a Matt Ryan, you know, as an option there. Kirk Cousins could be available. I'm not sure, you know, how much you're giving up for Cousins or Ryan. It'd be less certainly than Wilson or Rodgers. But, yes, to answer your question, they've had 10 starting quarterbacks since Peyton Manning. One has a winning record. Well, now I think Teddy might now, but it's right around 500. They haven't been to the playoffs since Super Bowl 50. If they uh, lose to the Chargers, they will secure their fifth straight losing season, something that hasn't happened since 1963 to 1972. So to answer your question, yes, they do know they need to get a quarterback. Because it's one thing to be bad. You guys have lived it. You can't be bad and boring in the current NFL. Right. And that's the problem they're running into. They do play good defense, but you can't be great defensively when your offense only scores 20 points a game because you're not getting turnovers and they don't lead enough for you to be like Dallas is this year or like Vic's last defense was in Chicago. So to answer your question, I do think expect them to be in the market for a quarterback, and I don't know that their starting quarterback is on their roster right now. It would surprise me if it is. Troy, what's the mindset of this Broncos team going into these final two weeks, knowing that the, the playoffs are, are out the window now and you're, you're playing for pride, you're playing for a winning record, and you're playing for Vic? Is that – kind of the the sense that you get or or is it man we're out of the playoffs and we'll see you in 2022 yeah i mean this one stings more because in a few years ago like 17 18 they just weren't good enough so you know you'd say hey it stinks not making the playoffs but it was hard to say with a straight face honestly this year they felt like from a talent perspective if you look at their 22 that they should be nine and eight ten and seven and, you know when you and their schedule set up as one of the easiest in the league and you have nine games at home this year. So this stings more because of the expectations. They could look at you with a straight face and say, we should be in the playoffs. And now here we are again, and they're not. And so they will play for each other. This team does have good chemistry. They do like each other more than I think a couple, you know, the previous two teams, for instance. And that helps. You, you, you don't want to fail the guy next to you. The idea of rallying around Vic, I don't know that I would state that. They do like him. They respect him. But he isn't an emotional guy that, you know, brings that win one for the Gipper. That's not Vic Fangio. He is mellow. He's even keel the whole time. So he wouldn't expect his players to do something for him in that way, like show extra emotion. It's just for this team, it's about finishing strong for each other. And also, it would mean something to have a winning season to end the four-year streak. And they can't do that without beating the Chargers. And the final part is to show you're competitive in your own division. They went one and five last year in the AFC West. I mean, they're staring at doing that again. I mean, you can't pretend you're a contender if you have the worst quarterback in the division and the worst record in your own division. And so there is something to play for there in terms of winning season and turning things around in the AFC West. Last thing for me, Troy, and I'll just follow up on that because, like you said, Vic Fangio's been 4-1 and one against the Chargers. The defense has been dominant. Um, do you think it's more likely they try to find a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback, something like that, or it's a new veteran quarterback, or do you think it is 
full-scale changes. Let's get rid of the defensive guy and bring in the offensive guy because you know how that goes. Yeah, it's usually one or the other, and they've had two straight defensive coaches in Vance Joseph and Vic Fangio. I mean, there is a scenario where if, let's say, they win out, go 9-8, and eight, where you and George Payton, the first-time GM, has a really good relationship with Fangio, reminds him a lot of Mike Zimmer, where he could say, okay, 9-8, and eight, the needle's going this way, they play hard for Fangio, the defense is good, you just need to blow out the offensive staff, or at least the top guys, right. and bring in a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive philosophy. There is that scenario. I think that's unlikely, because I, for me, you would have to win these final two games. Now, they do play well against the Chargers. They're Tell us about with it. Fangio. <laughs> yeah. And the Chiefs could have everything secured. So you could be playing again a preseason type game against the Chiefs. So in theory, you could win these last two games. But is that enough to say they're moving forward? And it'd be a, I'm not going to lie, it'd be a tough sell to the fans as well uh, if you bring back Fangio, especially if he has a losing record his first three seasons. It's almost unprecedented where a coach, a first-time head coach, would start his career with three straight losing seasons and get a fourth. It just typically doesn't happen. And I like Fangio. I don't root for anyone to lose their job. But in Denver, expectations are different. And that's what George Payton, I think, has sensed after one year here. And, you know, if you're in Broncos country, it's just different because of the Super Bowls. And basically for 35 years, they felt like they were going to make a Super Bowl run. And these last five, six years have been jarring, to say the least. So is there a possibility Fangio returns? Yes. Uh, but based on these last two losses, something would have to change in their play for that to happen. Well, Troy, we get to see you at SoFi Stadium. You mentioned to us off air, you'd never been here before. So there you go. That's a plus. Absolutely. My son's been there. My youngest, my youngest goes to Westmont College out in Santa Barbara. So I'm in Southern California a fair bit. He's plays baseball up there. So I'm out your way a lot. I fly over that airport a lot, although Southwest now has a flight to Santa Barbara. So I don't necessarily have to fly into L.A. and drive up anymore. But I love SoCal. Yeah, I would uh, say that's a huge win. Stay out of LAX, go straight to Santa Barbara, hit up Carrillo <laughs> Street, hit up Cabrillo Street, uh, hit Rincon, knock it all out to heck with this place. Yeah, Santa Barbara is... It's the wow. best. It's the best. It's Yeah, I wish I could afford to live there. <laughs> <laughs> Many of us do. <laughs> Troy, uh, we'll, we'll see you on Sunday, man. Thanks again for, uh, for your insight. Awesome stuff. You got it, guys. Take care. Can't wait. All right, buddy. Uh, Troy has been covering the Broncos for a long time. Some great insight there. And bottom line, we talked about it at the top. Just take care of business and see where the chips fall. Well, you know, I, I think he shared the stat that everybody probably held their breath when he said it, you know, one in 10 versus the rest of the AFC West, four and one against the Chargers. You know, Fangio has got something going uh, against, against this team. Now, look, it's a, it's a much different team. You know, now they are one and two against him. Uh, with Justin Herbert, you know, Brandon Staley, who is one of his protégés, and I'm sure he would tell you Vic is one of his, his biggest mentors, worked with him in Chicago, worked with him in Denver before he became the D.C. with the Rams. So, you know, I get a little worried about the whole Kyle Shanahan always has Sean McVay's number and the 49ers always beat the snot out of the, the Rams no matter what. I, I that, that did give me a little pause. It's like, oh, man, come on. Um, they did get the win last year, you know, and it was a huge win at the end of the season for, for Herbert to, to close with four straight wins and, and get to seven and nine. So let's hope they can do uh, the same thing. And we see some of that magic from this team that we all believe in. Yeah. And, you know, we, 
it's tough to talk about players in specific matchups when we're in this kind of COVID era and we don't know who's going to start and who's going to be up and who's going to be down for this game on Sunday. But I, I think it just comes down to the three things we talked about at the beginning too. Third down defense, stopping the run, and just playing clean football. Uh, if you do those three things against this team, three things that you didn't do against the Texans, I think you win. Yeah, again, I, I you know, I waited till the very end to do it, but just you know, with with Nas Adderley, Chris Harris, Mike Davis, you know, the secondary's been the issue uh, in terms of depth. So I am I am very hopeful. I'm I'm very hopeful with new protocols that somehow some combination of those guys will be out there. Because if you're down three fourths of your starters, uh, I'm gonna be a little nervous. I, I know Derwin. He's he's a human eraser, and he's been practicing this week, and he can cover a lot of that up. As can Joey Bosa. You know, the pass health, rush. The health of Derwin too, money. It's like yeah. we know he's trending positive. Coach Staley said he expects him to play. He's trending positive. Um, but we haven't seen him out there either. So, you know, yeah. you just hope he's as close to 100% as possible because 100%. that's the guy. I mean, yep. that's the guy. He changes everything. Energy, disposition, uh, ability, uh, the fact that you can line him up anywhere. Hey, you know what, Darren? We need a corner. They're picking just, you're, you're shadowing Sutton, you're shadowing Judy, and, and he can do it, you know, whatever you need. So it's, um, it's huge. It is, it is huge. And unfortunately, at this time of year, there's attrition everywhere on NFL rosters, and uh, I'm hopeful that the Chargers, who have been ravaged by this thing for two weeks now, can catch a break and, and get these guys back. We'll see what happens on Sunday. It's a, it's a big one. It's a must-win for the Chargers to keep their playoff hopes alive. Uh, we'll see you, I guess, in the new year. This is the last one of, right. of 2021, so um, happy new year to all you guys out there. If you go to the game on Sunday at SoFi Stadium, please say hi. For Matt Money Smith, I'm Chris Harey. This has been Chargers Weekly.